three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining in today on the pod. We are going to get to talk to somebody that I've looked up to for a really long time. So it was super blessing and honor to get to spend some time with him and to hear his heart. Joel Mamby uh, has an impressive resume as the CEO of Hershen Family Entertainment, which has a, a lot of family theme parks. He was the CEO of SeaWorld. He's been a CEO in the automotive industry for a couple different auto uh, organizations. Been the chairman of a board for a nonprofit for almost 27 years. His leadership experience is is long and wide and very very deep. And he wrote a book. I'm not sure how long ago um, that was that was great. Made a big impact. It's called Love Works. And LoveWorks is now the name of his organization where he helps other companies implement some of these ideas that came out of his learning through his career. And man, just his heart, his his soul, his uh, practicality of some of these ideas is awesome. I think you'll get a lot out of it. So I'm glad that you're joined in today and I hope you enjoy. Joel absolute honor thank you for joining us on the podcast uh as you were warned we're gonna kick this right off with an interesting ungoogleable fact about joel manby <laughs> hey ben just great to be here uh that's an intimidating question there's a lot you don't know about me that would be really embarrassing but i one story that comes to mind is uh, it was my first day at business school and something really funny happened as we were getting introduced um you know, I was a small town kid from Battle Creek, Michigan. My dad was a farmer, um, but I got into Harvard Business School. I don't, I don't exactly know how it happened, but um, I was super intimidated. You know, everybody at that school, it's a 10 percent forced fail. So one out of every 10 of you are going to fail no matter how good you are. So I walked into that first day completely intimidated, thought, man, I'm, I must be that admissions mistake. And they're going around the room and the professor is introducing each one of us. And I mean, the, the person two down from me helped Steve Jobs start Apple. So, man, my, my stomach just starts going into a knot. And then the person right next to me was involved in the biggest merger in American history with Goldman Sachs. And I'm thinking... You know, I'm a kid from Battle Creek, Michigan. I only, only thing I had done professionally was a plant foreman in a truck plant in Flint, Michigan. So I'm thinking the truth isn't going to work here, or at least my work environment's not going to work. So when he came to me, he said, Joel Manby from Battle Creek, Michigan, what's your claim to fame? And I literally kind of froze up. And I said, well, my name is Joel Manby. My claim to fame is in high school. I guarded Hall of Famer Magic Johnson in a high school basketball game. <laughs> wow. And it gets quiet for a minute. And then I say, and I held him to 62 points. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, that's actually true. I mean, that really did happen. And that's what you could not find out about me in Google. But I, I, I kind of became the class clown then at, at Harvard and uh, made it through. And it was a great experience, but it was, it was kind of a funny intro. I love there's the whole, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about this, but that like 
when you when you brag, it actually pushes people away. And when you, you know, take a big old humble pill like you did, you draw people to you. So I'm sure everybody in the room's intimidated by everybody else. And then there's Joel and Joel's just one of the guys and it drew I'm, people to you. I was just equally as intimidated. And um but I also learned, you know, Benj, you can you can accomplish anything if you put your mind to it and work really hard. And so anyway, yeah. it was it was fun. It was a fun experience. What, what drew you from the middle of Michigan to wanting to go to Harvard into business school? You know, I, I actually wanted to be a pro baseball player uh, midway through college. I still had that aspiration. And uh, I, I went to a Tiger tryout camp, made the final cut, but didn't get I did not. I couldn't hit major league pitching, so I didn't get drafted. But um, it, so I really kind of made a late decision to go to business school and what I'm not really proud of this, Benj, but it was more driven by not wanting to end up like my dad. My, we, I grew up very poor and um, my dad was making like 50 bucks a week for five years. I call it 2,500 bucks a year. And, and uh, wow. you know, it and I, I just did not want to end up like that. And so I thought business school might be a way to do that. And I'm not I, I would not recommend that to your listeners. I don't think that's a good motivation, but I'm just being honest with you. It, yeah. And as we get into my story a, bit, a little bit later and how how love has driven so much of what I'm about, uh, it started with not approaching work the right way. I approached it more as a means to an end to make money so that my family didn't suffer like I did growing up or our family did growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the world is grateful that you went on that journey because you've, <laughs> you've created quite an impact through it, but you, you set up the transition right there beautifully. So the three things on your mind, the, the first one you had listed out was why love is a leadership principle. Yeah, what, what's going I, on? What do you thinking on that? I, this has really been the message of, of my life bench kind of since I've been 40 on and I know we'll get in a little bit about how I got to this point, but I, I think for your listeners, what if they if they walk away with one thing is that love is the energy of life, right? It is it is what drives positivity on earth. It's what drives people's connections and relationships. And for some reason, we don't tend to talk about it as a leadership principle. We're fine to talk about it as uh, something we do with our significant others or our children, but it's not often talked about as a leadership principle. And I think the biggest reason is people don't believe it, it works or they're afraid it's too soft and they, they think that they won't be able to hit their numbers and we all have to hit our numbers as leaders. And so I think the first answer to the question of why love is it does work. There, there's tons of studies out there. I'll, I'll just quote one. Uh, Gallup organization, huge research company, one of the best, respect, most respected in the world. They studied over uh, 400 companies over a 20 year period, literally uh, 200 kind of different industries and over, over almost 2 million people were involved in this study. They found that high engagement scores drove increased profitability 20% more than companies that didn't increase loyalty, increase customer satisfaction. So the numbers were amazing. And while I was at Hershen and at SeaWorld running these companies, we tracked 
our leaders, who got the best engagement scores, it was always the leaders who led with love. And we measured that and we had really good analytics around it. So not only the Gallup study, but my own experience in being CEO of four different companies, uh, lots of acquisitions, lots of turnarounds, I can say from a number standpoint, it works. So for your listeners to say, oh, I don't really buy this stuff. It's too soft and fuzzy. Yeah. That's, that's a wrong mindset. Um, but I think this, the bigger reason we should love is it does change the world and it changes relationships and it changes performance. And I'm, I have a faith. I'm a, I, I've, I do my best to follow teachings of Jesus. He said it was the number one commandment. It summarized everything. But for your listeners who aren't aren't uh, Christians or they may maybe of another faith or no faith at all, it is still the energy of life. And I don't understand why we don't focus more on it in the work environment. I love that. Will you talk a little more about how you measured engagement and how you measured? You know, were they a, a love? centric leader because uh, i think yeah. maybe if we understood the the how you measured it we'd understand at a deeper level what it really looks like I, i'm glad you asked that Benj, because it's it's really the heart of the issue that most companies who try this kind of loving or servant leadership as it's often called they don't go through these all these steps and you know, obviously you have to have the words defined what what does love mean and we can get into that but also what behaviors are behind it. Once you put behaviors, for instance, one of my words of love is kindness or encouragement. One of the ways we measure that is, are you writing thank you notes to your folks? And are you encouraging your people at least once a week? That's a specific measurement. And then we would put that in employee surveys and employees would rate their bosses. Are they kind? Are they encouraging? And there are many other behaviors, many other definitions. I'm just giving one sure, example. Sure, sure. And then we would get that data back. And then so the, the people who, who behaved according to love, then we would link that to the engagement score. And there was a direct linkage there. So uh, as an example, we had seven words of love and we had three behaviors for each word. I know this sounds a little anal, but just hang with me. So that, that was basically 21 uh, behaviors that we taught and every day we picked one to reinforce before people went out and got on the floor of their theme park as we called it the floor um yeah we would reinforce one so that's that's how we measured it and we reinforced it yeah i love that it's kind of the ritz carlton model the, yeah it, they, it, we, how they spread it, their culture it's actually um i met horse on a, a a speaking tour when i wrote love works the book and uh I stole that idea from him. I give him a credit. I mean, the the, the daily stand up reinforcing a virtue it yeah. came right from Ritz Carlton. Yeah. yeah. And so much of the time, I'm I'm guilty of this too. I think it's almost uh, belittling people to restate what we've already said or we've already told on. Like we've already talked about these seven things. They should know it. They do know it. But there's there is such value in affirming that those are still the things and, the, and reminding us that today is the day where we get to act those out. And, and so I, um, I, I've struggled in my leadership to reinforce the things that we've put out there many times. And, and I think that that's a great, just 
practical way to make sure that it happens. Well, and it's also been really important that you create an environment. We create an environment of love and, and safety to tell the truth so that people can confront us when we aren't adhering to one of those seven mm. words of love, um, as I define them in love works. So yeah, I, I agree with you. It takes a lot of repetition and, and discussion. Um, I want to get to the seven words because that is probably the meat of the whole thing. But wh why are you so passionate about this idea? What got yeah. you to this place where it became your life message? It's, um, it's a long sorted story, but to kind of give your listeners the, the high level, um, as, as I already mentioned, I, I, I grew up very poor, went to, went to school to be a business person and came out in the auto industry. So the auto industry is a very cutthroat, uh, at least it was, now, you know, it may have changed, but it was very autocratic, very, very fear-based. And a lot of, you know, if you don't hit your numbers, you're gone. And a lot of intimidation, a lot of anger and, you know, it worked in a way, but it did not create creativity. It did not, you know, and I, I was with General Motors. I think one of the reasons they went bankrupt in 07, 08, uh, certainly they had unfunded pension liabilities, but they also had really uh, backwards leadership that just mm -hmm. treated people in a very in, uh, intimidating fashion and good people left and it didn't drive innovation. So that whole, that was 20 years of my career, basically. I, uh, ended up running Saab North America and did a startup with Amazon when I left General Motors selling cars on the internet. But I, I think that experience taught me more what not to do than what to do. And the best way I can describe it, Ben, is I had this huge angst in my soul that there had to be a better way to lead. I, I had yeah. this faith in my stomach and my soul and my heart but it couldn't get released at work or it wasn't being released at work. And I came home every night with this disconnect between what I was at work and what I was at home and what I wanted to be at home. And I bet you a lot of your listeners have that angst in their soul that they know there has to be a better way to lead than they are seeing in their work environment. And so luckily for me, about at 40 years old, I was on the board as I was running South North America, I was on the board of a theme park company and it's called Hershend Family Enterprises and it was owned and run by Jack and Pete Hershend. Well, Jack saw something in me and when he retired, he asked me to come in and run the company. And I decided to leave the auto industry to do this because I saw something so different in the way Jack and Pete led and the way their employees responded and the way people just the, the, the profitability was great, but also they loved each other. They backed each other. And I said, I saw this is the answer, Benj. This is what I've always been looking for. And I made that huge switch from autos to theme parks because I believe so much in what I saw. And the rest kind of is, so to speak, history. Um, that was when I was 40. I'm, geez, I can't believe I'm 64 now. So I had kind of 24 years in theme parks and really learned to lead with love. And so my story and the reason I tell that for your listeners is for those out there that have that angst, I want to give them hope that there is a better way to lead and also that it's never too late. And I'm hoping by me being on your podcast, podcast and, and writing the book that people in their 20s and 30s will desire to lead with love 
and find out about it way before they're 40, like I did. I mean, I wish I had known sooner in my life. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's kind of at a high level how I got there. And there's a lot of pain and suffering in those 20 years in the auto industry. But, um, you know, it all, it all worked out very well. Hey, listener, we don't spend much time talking about ourselves on this podcast because we want to really be bringing you new ideas from outside sources for inspiration, for your own leadership, for your own organization. And we don't like talking about ourselves, but we're going to let somebody else talk about us for a second and brag on us. And I hope this gives you a little insight into what System and Soul is doing in the businesses that we're getting to work with. I'm in love with this whole new framework because anything that I do is always about soul. And I've never been able to marry process and the soul of an organization together. And this is the first time that I feel like I have the ability to do that. I've been a part of the EOS journey for many, many years. I've worked in a nonprofit, of course, when I joined Orbis. I've been through several different implementers. Um, and the evolution of the system and soul framework is just brilliant for me um, because it's just, yeah, we have to care about culture. We have to care about these things called values. It's more than just some plaque on a wall. They're, you know, it's just not some talking point that we say to employees when they first start applying. Like it has to be, we have to live, we have to breathe, we have to show by example. Um, and this is the first time that I've ever been able to really like embrace that and then have a, a ground to stand on when I'm having really difficult conversations about the direction of our business then it's just been it's been really exciting if you want to discover breakthrough in your business by becoming a system and soul coach or finding one of our coaches to help your business you can always learn more at systemandsoul.com were those two guys when you came into hershen did they become kind of mentors in this new way of leading Absolutely. I, what were some of your biggest takeaways from from those two guys? No, oh man, that's a great question. I, I'll say before I answer that question, Jack and Pete are like my second dads. Um, mm. uh, and my my dad passed away and never quite had the relationship I wanted. You know, he, he was a great loving man, and but you know, we all have our our dad stories uh, or our dad <laughs> wounds, and um, yeah. they really replaced me there. But I, a couple stories about like Jack. Um, in a, in a meeting, most, most CEOs come in and they want to, they have the answers or they kind of have their idea and they drive their idea and they try to get, they sell and they try to get people to buy into their idea. He would come in with an issue and he would state the issue. And then he would work from the bottom of the quote unquote bottom of the room. He'd start with the youngest person and get their answers and thoughts first, because he knew they would be intimidated if he stated his first or, or if the more senior person, he would go from bottom up, not top down. And he uh, also, if he went a, a different direction than the input he had gotten in the room, he would go back around and make sure everyone felt heard and why he was going in a different direction. And then the, the only other story I'll tell, because this is so powerful, it's, it's simple, but it's powerful, is we all need encouragement, right? I mean, encouragement is in short supply and, and that's, that's one of the words of love, but he, he would start every day 
before he picked up his phone or talked to someone or looked at his, you know, his text messages, he would write three thank you notes to people and think about yesterday and what they did right. And he would, you know, one pager, send it out. But you think about the, the power of that. Every day he does that. And that's three a day is a thousand a year. He's almost 90 now. And he's been at Hershey in 70 years. He's literally written like 70,000 thank you notes. And they're like gold. I, I've, yeah. I have a box of them. And that's such a power. You ask what I learned from him. It, you know, the power of encouragement, the power with his notes and the power of feeling like you're in a safe environment with, with asking the young people to speak first. Those are two things that come to mind that are really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Those, those are very helpful, practical, like we can all, you know, choose to pick those up and, and active out of this. I'm reminded of how much of good leadership and we're talking about love and engagement, but it's, it, there's an element of just slow being willing to slow down, like even to communicate back to all the people in the room, this, you know, I heard you, I, you know, you're, you're probably right. This is why we're going in this direction. Um, it just like most leaders aren't willing to sacrifice the time it takes to slow down and give those gifts, whether it's the feedback or the note or whatever, they, they are gifts that, that the leader can give to their people. That's such a good point, Ben. Actually, Jack would call them gems. You know, he would give people mm -hmm. or he would he would acknowledge when he got a gem. And the thing I, I have to add to what you said, because not only slowing down is important, but I also my two examples were reinforcing things. Jack was also the best I've ever seen at giving difficult feedback but making you still feel good when you walked out of the room because he slowed down, like you said, and he would not just tell you what you did wrong. He would kind of sandwich yeah. it. He would start with a positive, go to here's what I think you can do better. And then he would reinforce you before you left the room. And you'd kind of walk down the hall and think, I just got my butt chewed out. <laughs> and yeah, I feel really good about it. <laughs> I mean, he, he had very, very high standards. And so I yeah. would never want people to think leading with love at, at, in any way, shape or form. But you're, you're, that's a really astute comment that slowing down to give feedback and get feedback is really, really important. Yeah. Something that really stuck with me, a friend of our, of the show, Michael Alasso used to produce Broadway plays. Oh, and uh, as a director, they would get 14 rehearsals between the first time they show up and opening night. And so he saw his job as anybody on that stage. He had to give notes to at the end of every one of the rehearsal because of how quickly they had to improve over those 14 dress rehearsals. So uh, this idea of giving notes and his notes were sometimes it's a mix like you're talking about. It's like, here's what you did great tonight. You got to keep doing that, fine tune that. Here's what you got to work on and get better at before I see you tomorrow. Right. Like the clarity of that is just exceptional. And I think that that's what makes him. But he's the same way. He comes off as the most generous, loving for you person that you'll ever meet. I can't believe you only get 14 rehearsals in a broad. And you're talking Broadway. I would have this was that. yeah yeah I could be messing up his story. It's on. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's off Broadway or Broadway. It's still yeah give a live performance. I mean, that's not very many rehearsals to get it. No, it's not. It's not, and that's what created the urgency. Sometimes we don't have that urgency 
for the feedback. We have the urgency for the results, but we don't have the urgency for the the candid feedback, both positive and negative. Okay, so can we get into these seven? Sure. What are the elements of love? Principles. Seven words yeah. here. Principles. Yeah. The seven okay. principles. Yeah, and then let me to answer that because that's that's the subject of the of the book I wrote. But I I, I need to preface it with with clarification because. I wouldn't want your listeners to not know the bigger picture on love. Um, most people misperceive love because the English language is pretty limited in it. There's only one word for a lot of different emotions or behaviors. I, in, in the book I talk about, it's, I really go to Greek as a better example because Greek has four different words for where we only have one in love. So, for instance, eros which is where the word erotic comes from. That's the Greek word for emotional love. And that's what most of your listeners think of. That's what most Americans think of when they hear love. That's why there's a misperception. Of course, there's also phylos. People know that because that's Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. That's the love between you and your best friend. There's storge, which is the love between a parent and a child. That's very different and usually not found at work. But agape is the fourth word. And that is the kind of love that is is behavior driven. It doesn't it's not about how you feel. It's about how you behave. It's and that's a really important thing for your listeners to understand. And like when Paul writes in the Bible about love in Greek, he uses agape. He doesn't use eros or phylos. So that's the kind of love we're talking about now. Once you establish that as agape, it's a verb, it's a behavior, it's not a feeling. Then we paraphrased actually First Corinthians uh, out of the Bible, which is Paul's famous verse on love. So, in a lot of your listeners, whether they're Bible readers or not, would have been to a wedding and love is patient, yeah. love is kind. Well, we paraphrase that into these seven words, which is patient, love is patient, love is kind, it's trusting, it's truthful, it's unselfish, it's forgiving, and then it's dedicated. And like I said earlier, we then put behaviors to each of these seven words. And th these are what we called the do goals of an or I'm sorry, the B goals, the B goals of an organization yeah. It's what kind of leader do we want to be? Uh, and then we had the measurements that we talked about earlier. Of course, we had the do goals, which is financial performance, margin, growth, sales, but every business has to have. But we spend just as much time focusing on the beagles as yes. we did the doogles. And that, so at a high level, uh, that's the answer to your question. But we can, we can dig into a few of them if you want. Yeah. No, I'm like grinning from ear to ear because even talking about – so we, one of the things we do is help companies build a roadmap for kind of the vision of where they want to go. But we talk about – and the roadmap illustrates that it's more about who you want to be as an organization than what you want to do. And, right. and you need some combination of both, but we actually have some really practical tools to help them think through who they want to be. Um, and even some of these attributes that, that you mentioned – I've seen pop up in there. So I'm just grinning because it's so just aligned with, with what we get to do and the work we get to do. People are what, motivated about what the company wants to be or how they want to be as a leader. Those are, those are more motivating factors than, you know, we want to have the best market share or the highest profit in our sector. I, at least in my experience as a leader, those are nice things, but it isn't really what drives people to come to work every day. Uh, it's more right. 
It's it's more the the vision, the cause that you're trying to solve, and and how you go about doing it. That's really important. yeah, yeah. What would you say to a leader who is maybe hearing this for the first time and they're not sure where to start? Because mm-hmm. you've you know you're you're sharing your wisdom of a 24 year journey of mastering this idea and really sitting in it and trying to, to, uh, make it true in all the different businesses that you've gotten to touch, but you've gotten that experience. So looking back, where would you, if you had to do it all again, um, as a leader for yourself, like really not just for your and the new organization, but as a new leader trying to lead with love, where would you start? Well, there's, I mean, there's two answers to that, um, and it's a great question. If, if you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking when I say two answers, individually, but also as a leader for your department or your division or whatever, the people listening, whatever they lead, including your own family, by the way. I mean, the thing about all these words of love is they do work at home and it, in all your other environments. I just wrote about it in work because there's plenty of literature about love of your significant other. There's not much literature about you <laughs> using love at work. So um, the answer to your question is, I think it begins right back to um, who, who do we want to be as individuals? And my daily quiet time, when, when my life was on track and I, I had my um, things were, were going well, I would spend my quiet time focused on these beagles. And I'm not telling people that are listening that it has to be these seven words of love. I think we all have to come to that ourselves. Mm-hmm. I, I do know they work. But my, my daily quiet time, I look at those seven words and the behaviors and say, this is what I want to be. And then I self-reflect on those. And where am I failing? Where am I not? Um, that's what I would encourage your listeners to do is a first step is is look at that every day and have a self-reflection on it. I will also say, um, and if people read my, my book at the end of it, I went through really difficult times, really, uh, personally, professionally, I've had tremendous failure in both. I've had some success in both. And when I fell off the rails personally, it's when I stopped having those self-reflections because if, if you aren't self-reflecting, you start to talk yourself into, some of my bad behavior is okay. And yeah. if if you're coming before your creator, your higher power, whatever it is, or even if it's just yourself and you're honest, you can catch it before it gets out of hand, whether it's at work or at home. And I can't encourage people enough to do that. Um, so that, that would be my answer for the person to get started on their own. Now, as far as being a leader in a department, then, then it starts with defining the words, as we said earlier, putting measurements behind them. That's number two. Number three is teaching it relentlessly over and over again. Like we talked about the 21 days and the repeatability of it, all the behaviors. The fourth thing is reviewing it, Benj, frequently. Like it's such a common tale to go into companies and leaders say, we're all about this and we're all about that. But all they ever talk about in a meeting is the financial results. The only meeting you're ever in is we're missing our numbers. We got to get our numbers better. <laughs> and so we spent just as much time on that, as I said earlier, than uh, on our beagles as we do on the financial results. And then the, the fifth thing is to always promote the people 
who are good at both the be goals and the do goals. So many organizations, mm -hmm. they talk a good game and then they promote the people who are hitting the do yes. goals, but they're ignoring yeah. the be goals and they're just running over people that hit, get the numbers. That just sends the wrong message. So I'm sorry for a long answer, but it's kind of the personal side and also the yeah. professional side to, to implement love in your life or at, or at work. Yeah. It's kind of like the saying that your, your priorities are where you're, uh, in your checkbook, you know, in your budget, uh, mm -hmm. or in your calendar. The same thing is true with when you, when you show who you're promoting, you're showing what you're promoting, right? Uh, that's, that's a great call out. I love that. Hey everybody, I've been talking a lot about this book, Renegades, as a book for founders. And it is for founders, but a little secret, I also had in mind the people that work with or survive working with a renegade. They feel like untamable human beings. My hope for you is twofold. One, that you would actually be able to understand what's happening with that renegade a little more deeply and be able to bring some sympathy, some empathy. But also, number two, I think if you understand it better, you can actually understand why you are massively valuable for the organization to catapult past the capacity of that renegade. I'm not saying that the renegade doesn't matter and needs to get out of the way, but we need their energy to be a renegade while the organizations that we're part of mature into our possibilities. Talking a lot to founders and renegades, but if you're not one, this book may also be for you. If you find yourself surrounded or, or in a working relationship with somebody that feels like a bit of a renegade, uh, I would love for you to join us in this journey with this book. And I would love to hear from you uh, how it impacts your life. You can put your email in the link below and we'll put a furry first chapter in your inbox right now. Book drops on October 17th on Amazon. I'm sure you'll see me back in your LinkedIn feed to tell you all about it. See you soon. Well, I, I don't think that I have to do this, but I really want to shout out that it, uh, the book love works is an amazing, um, path to what we're talking about today. The, the, um, behaviors within these, uh, it's just lays it out. It's a great, it's a, it's a must read for leaders. Uh, so we'll make sure that's in the show notes. So everybody go get that support, Joel, uh, tell us what you're doing now because you've exited from CEO world to focused on helping other companies. Am I yeah. getting that right with this whole idea and methodology? Yeah, I, um, I, when I left SeaWorld in 2000, gosh, what was it, 2018, I'd, I had opportunities and I honestly, I had been a CEO of one thing or another for 26 straight years, kind of big company, small company, failure, success, um, everything in between. And I had jet black hair going into SeaWorld and now I'm deeply red <laughs> <laughs> and I look about 20 years older. I had just had enough of, of that full-time kind of 80 hour, hundred hour work weeks. And I, I also really wanted to give back to younger people, the people who felt like I did in their twenties and thirties that there had to be a better way. So, mm. uh, Maxwell leadership, uh, uh, 
they were kind enough to make me one of their thought leaders and John Maxwell course, everyone knows who John Maxwell is and just a great human being and probably authored 60 some books. I don't know, but he, yeah. I, I basically helped some of his clients uh, through one-on-one -on -one coaching to just become better leaders. We also have something called executive circle, which that is a, a, it's basically think of it as a mini MBA in servant leadership. It's a 12 session once a month Zoom call with six to eight other leaders. So there's ironing, sharpen, iron, iron sharpens iron together. Also a curriculum that we go through and then one-on-one uh, -on -one mentoring is included in that as well. So I really enjoy taking on business problems with people or leadership problems and helping them work through that. And then I still speak on Love Works, and, and I'm working on a an, another book called The Five Steps of Culture Transformation, which are those same five steps I articulated early, earlier about how to create a, yeah. a loving environment. But it's um, it's one-on-one -on -one mentoring, it's executive circle, and then it's, it's still speaking on Love Works. So if any of your listeners are interested in any of the things we've discussed, they can go to joelmamby.com, and there's more information there. Wonderful. Joel, thanks you so much. This is a pleasure and honor. Uh, you know, as a, I, I think I was probably that 22 year old first time CEO when, when I first came in contact with you, I think I heard you speak somewhere and, um, the ideas resonated to the point where, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm challenged because there's some deeper levels that you've pointed out that I I'm reminded that I need to go on those journeys, but I'm thankful for the imprint that you had in my leadership early on. So this feels like super, super awesome to get to full circle and have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Well, I really enjoyed it, Benj, and you had some great questions. So I, I really appreciate the time together. And I just want to encourage all your listeners that leadership is difficult at times. And I think it's really important to have an anchor of B goals uh, to get them through when the do goals are really struggling. And uh, I just want to encourage them and uh, hope they find some encouragement in, in, in the book or just uh, your podcast and all the things that you guys do for leaders. Thank you, Joel. Listener, I know you got something out of this. So if you would go support Joel in however best fits your situation and share this episode with someone who needs to shift their thinking from just being about those do goals to getting into those B goals. And until next time, we're on the journey with you. 